Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. With Valentine's Day only one week away, there's an increased awareness of romantic relationships. Stores are overflowing with hearts, chocolates, and the colors red and pink. While there are many reasons why someone might love or hate this holiday, we thought it was an appropriate time to have a discussion on healthy relationships. Here with me today is Alex Patel, a marriage and family therapist who practices in Bangor. Alex has 20 years of clinical experience, and through those years, she's gained a lot of understanding of people in our relationships. Alex works to help her clients identify their strengths and resources to better themselves and their relationships. She works together with her clients to unravel the challenges that seem to perpetuate problems for them. This includes recognizing the role of the past and moving forward with greater intention towards a happier life. She specializes in relational counseling, combating anxiety and depression, LGBTQ counseling, and gender identity issues. Today, she offers our listeners advice on partnerships and being vulnerable. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Reproductive Left. Thank you for being on the show with me today. Sure. I'm happy to be here. So on social media, I often come across these lists like 10 ways to tell they're the one or five personality traits to look for in a partner. I'm wondering that if instead of a list, if you can just tell our listeners kind of an overview of what what a healthy relationship is like. Um, I think that the most important quality of a healthy relationship is where people can be completely vulnerable and genuine and be completely themselves and accepted as they are. doesn't mean that there aren't disagreements. Um, I don't think it's possible to have a healthy relationship with another human and not have some disagreements or have some conflict because if you're being genuine, at some point, the two of you are going to, like, your genuineness is going to kind of bump up against each other, and the things that you really are passionate about and the, the things that that person's really passionate about may not jive. And I think that you have to be able to kind of put it out there and have that person disagree but accept it. Mm-hmm. That includes also putting out there the things that are not so pretty about ourselves, so the things that we're shameful about, Um, the things that we might want to hide, but being able to be totally open and vulnerable and honest about what those things are and have that person still love you anyway. (laughs) That you brought up that you have to be honest and that can raise conflict, but when we were raised as kids, we really have been given this idea of happily ever after. So um, do you think this impacts um, 
how people react when conflict occurs in a relationship? Yes. In fact, I, I often um, will see couples who are coming in for counseling and they might say something like, I don't, I don't really understand the problem because it's not like we fight. And I would actually rather work with a couple that's coming in with some conflict because that tells me that they're communicating at least and they're putting some information out there to work with. It's when couples are disengaging and they're not sharing and they're evolving into kind of a roommate situation where they're just coexisting in the same space. Like that's more problematic. What are some of the most common things couples come to you with that they're struggling on? Um, I would say with couples that have been together a long time, a common thing that I see is the the roommate situation, that they've been together a long time. Um, Oftentimes they've raised kids together, so their focus has been on raising their kids, their career, and somewhere in the mix, the two of them lost contact. And so they're coming in because they are recognizing that there's there's no connection. They're not spending time together. They're not looking forward to wanting to spend time together. Um, they're just living in the same house, paying bills, and they may be working together well as what I call business partners, mm-hmm. meaning that they can manage the household and manage co-parenting even, um, but the romance is gone and the connection is gone. That's a very common thing that I see. Um, and then... A common thing that I see, um, and I see this more in heterosexual couples, where the couple's coming in and it's often the man who's called me um, and has said, well, I was told I needed to call you or call the attorney. And so they come in and there's this dynamic where the wife has been saying for a long time that she's upset about something and now she's kind of hit her tipping point and the couple is now coming in because she's threatened to move out or maybe has moved out. Um, I joke sometimes that I'm going to write this book called Hey Man, She's Serious (laughs) because it seems like it takes this crisis sometimes for people to say, oh, I didn't realize you were that unhappy. You know, so they've just been hearing this as just discontent and not recognizing like there's a need for action and there's a need for change. And it's not just a day to day grumbling about dishes or whatever it is. It's like wanting their partner to engage and help them. So I was planning to ask you about tips for Valentine's Day, to for romantic tips. But um, before the interview, you mentioned to me that you're not a huge fan of Valentine's Day. So I was wondering <laughs> if you could talk a little bit about that. And then we can also still talk about romantic ways to um, increase romance in a relationship, but generally not around Valentine's Day. Okay. Um The main reason that I'm not a huge fan about Valentine's Day is that I feel like it puts this tremendous pressure on people. When people are single and they're not partnered, they feel like they're left out or they feel shamed that they don't have a Valentine. Um, And so there's a lot of emotion around that. And then when they're coupled, there's a lot of pressure to kind of perform because the calendar suddenly says it's Valentine's Day. and, um, And some of that pressure is around specific things like you should buy flowers like you know huge season for people to to go and and buy tons of roses and take people to dinner and um that doesn't really speak to everybody Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I really encourage couples to focus on that if you want to celebrate your relationship and you want to celebrate your love, don't wait until February 14th. Like, I don't care if it's February 2nd. Just go out and do something to celebrate that person. Um, as I thought about it, too, I realized that some of the pressure is that it's such a focus on gifts. Mm-hmm. Gary Chapman has this great book called The Five Love Languages. And it breaks down that we all express love in different ways and we all receive love in different ways. Um, so it's shared experiences, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, and physical touch. And Valentine's Day seems to focus on gifts. So if you are a gift person and somebody comes home and brings you flowers and chocolates, you feel loved. But if you're somebody who really responds to, say, acts of service and your loved one comes home and they have flowers and they have chocolates, but the house is a mess and what you really need is somebody to just pitch in and help with the kids or clean up the dishes, then the flowers and the chocolates sort of fall flat. Mm -hmm. And so you have this person who has done something that they feel like is really loving and they've gone out of their way to get this nice gift um, and they feel kind of rejected because they're at least in their mind, they're trying, but they're trying in a way that doesn't translate to the person that they're bringing that to. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. Here with me today is Alex Patel, a marriage and family therapist in Bangor. We're discussing healthy relationships. And you mentioned it can be a hard time for uh, people who are not in a partnership, so for single folks. Do you have any tips for single people on surviving the month of February when there's hearts and chocolates filling our streets? (laughs) Um, Again, I think you just need to sort of... um, bring down the what's the word I'm looking for like the value of Valentine's Day if we all would just minimize it a little bit and not have it be such a big thing Um, and find a way to just love yourself celebrate yourself if you really wish you had somebody that would bring you roses buy yourself some roses if you really wish that you had somebody um, who would give you a massage treat yourself to a massage like you don't necessarily have to have that partner yes it would be nice but don't get stuck up on the fact that it's february 14th and find a way to kind of do some of those loving things for yourself not just in february but do you have tips on how to elevate romance in relationships throughout the year well i mentioned the five love languages um and i think that that is an excellent book for couples to read and i always encourage them to read it together Um, The book also has a survey that people can take so that they can understand so that when you're putting in the effort, it's going to (laughs) land. You know, if you have somebody uh, whose love language is physical contact, then that's what they need. And I often have the conversation with couples to say, you don't even necessarily have to understand why that's valuable to your partner. You just kind of have to do it. I had um, an older gentleman who told me when I asked him, how do you know that your wife loves you after 25 years? And he said, she bakes me bread. Now, bread to me doesn't really have much meaning, but to him, bread takes a lot of effort. It's like an all-day event. 
So the fact that she would put so much effort into doing something that he really appreciated helped him to feel loved. And so for couples to have conversations about what's most meaningful to them and then to try to give your partner whatever that is, to be thoughtful and mindful about it um, and to not necessarily project what's important to you. Mm-hmm. That if your language is physical contact, but your partner's language is words of affirmation, if they come home and you try to seduce them, but you haven't said a nice word to them in a week, <laughs> that's going to fall flat. So really paying attention to what it is that they specifically need. I have another question around when couples come to see you, um, do they are they generally able to work through the conflict with your support or is it often by the time they come they've already been struggling for so long? Um, it varies. I am seeing couples coming in a little bit sooner, um, but we find that on average, most couples, um, married couples, when they come into therapy, they've been experiencing problems for up to six years. So that's a lot of work to kind of, you know, sift through six years of wreckage and kind of figure out how do you patch that back together and move forward. Um, so it really varies. Mm-hmm. It depends on what the situation is that's bringing them in. Um I have couples that come in with issues of infidelity, and they will ask that question, like, have you had couples who move forward? Um, And I absolutely do. And I wish that I could tell you what the equation is to that, because they will say, like, does it have to do with what, you know, who this person was or how long it went on? Um, And it's really about the couple and if they're willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. Like that specific issue, I always say to couples that, infidelity is just a symptom of what the problem is that infidelity doesn't typically happen in a healthy relationship it happens in a relationship where there's been a fracture and when the fracture happens somebody can come into that space between the two of you and so the work is trying to sift through and figure out what was the fracture and sometimes the fracture goes back years even though this infidelity may have happened recently and so it's trying to help them to be able to go back and and figure out what's the fracture and how do we fix it. And that's how we sort of secure the relationship so that that can't happen again, because it's not about the person they had an affair with. It's, it's about the relationship itself. Mm -hmm. And do you have any suggestions for starting relationships, um, starting them on the right foot, like in the right direction to lead into a open, honest relationship that, might not need marriage counseling years down the line? I think the biggest thing is being genuine um, and being vulnerable. So that means, you know, we all want to put our best foot forward when you're first meeting people. Um, I have folks who do a lot of online dating. And of course, you know, you're not going to put on your profile some of the baggage that you're bringing in to relationship. But if the relationship is evolving, then you need to be able to share those things. And if you can't share them up front, what does that look like down the road? So it's important for people from the get-go to be able to do that. So uh, the show Reproductive Left is about um, our sexual and reproductive health care. Relationships are a very important part of our sex lives. And you talked a lot about um, vulnerability and communication, and I'm wondering how that impacts people's sex life um, as part of their relationship. 
Oh, it absolutely goes hand in hand. Um, David Schnarch is a family therapist who's written for decades about intimacy and desire, and he talks a lot about vulnerability. And so it's this idea of being willing to have sex with the lights on, being willing to be comfortable allowing your partner to see all of you, see you in all your glory, um, with all of your blemishes and all of the parts of your body that you're not so excited about, but to have your partner love you and embrace you. Um, and so to be able to be relaxed and vulnerable at the same time, I think is the best way for couples to be able to have sexual intimacy and be comfortable, um, and enjoy the experience because if you're in your head and you're worrying about like how you look in a certain position, you're not going to enjoy having sex. <laughs> you're going to be too preoccupied with other things. And if you're not physically in your body, instead you're in your head thinking things, it's not an enjoyable experience. Like the most important sexual organ we have is our brain. If we get stuck up in there and we're not in our bodies, we, we don't feel anything. So it's not erotic. It's not exciting. It's not stimulating. Uh, we might as well be like doing the laundry list in our head of the things we need to do. Instead, we need to be physically present, comfortable in our own bodies, comfortable with our partner's body, um, and again, be vulnerable. Great. Well, those are all the questions. So I appreciate your um, guidance today, and I think our listeners will um, have a better February because of it. Listeners, stick around. We'll be right back with Ask Mabel. Hello and welcome to Ask Mabel, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit www.mabelwadsworth.org and click on Contact Us. Today's Ask Mabel questions aired for the first time last year, but we wanted to highlight these questions again. The focus is on our services for transgender individuals. On our last episode, we announced that we've changed our name to Mabel Wadsworth Center. This is in large part because we wanted to be clear that our center is a safe, welcoming, and affirming place for people of all genders, not just people who identify as women. As our executive director, Andrea Irwin, wrote, We are incredibly proud of our feminist history and our reputation built over 32 years as a safe and affirming place for women to seek sexual and reproductive health care. We are thrilled to broaden this commitment to all people and excited to begin a new chapter. We believe the new mission, values, logo, and name reflect a more inclusive approach that still prioritizes the values of feminism and gender equality that have defined our work since 1984. Women's health and serving women will always be core to our mission, but we hope that this name change will invite even more folks to seek health care and community at the center. Today's questions will focus on what transgender folks can expect when they come to Mabel's. A trans person is coming in for their first appointment planning to start home hormone therapy. What can they expect when they're first greeted at the front desk? Well, we um, will address people by the names that they've given us over the telephone. So if people are um, wanting to use their chosen name, that's the way that we create their chart 
Um, so that's how we know them. Um, we give uh, these excellent, I think, pretty um, inclusive uh, intake forms so that people can identify themselves in the way that they want to, um, you know, uh, let us know which pronouns that they prefer. Um, and our front desk staff are knowledgeable and safe people um, to come in and, you know, be respected in that way. So I think from the very first, people can walk into our health center and know that they are going to be viewed as the person that they are presenting. Next, um, we'll be in the exam room. What can they expect from their first appointment as they enter the exam room? Uh, for a first appointment, um, people should rest assured that I don't actually do an exam. Um, I think the most invasive um, procedure that I do is your blood pressure, um, which is important. Um, it's mostly a, um, it's an opportunity for me to get to know the person, to kind of hear their story and hear what their goals um, are for getting treatment from me. Um, and, and that said, uh, and I, you know, just as an aside, not every trans person um, needs to have hormones. Um, and, and I totally get that and appreciate that. So people should feel like they can come here safely without having um, a sort of lingering pressure or expectation that somebody has to go through masculinizing or feminizing therapy. Um, still, that's oftentimes what people are seeking. So um, if we go back to that, um, I just want to hear what people's goals are, what they um, would like to get out of this therapy, answer any of their questions that they have about medications, about body changes. Um, and I would say, you know, most most folks are more well-informed than I am about it because they've been researching it for years. Um, so that's great um, that people sort of know what they want already. Um, and just kind of get a health history, make sure people are taking care of other aspects of their health. Um, and then, you know, we sort of get going with consent forms and um, do kind of a an overview of what they can expect if and when they start um, different hormone therapies. So there's this sort of uh, a thought, and, and I think um, it may even still be uh, recommended in the WPATH um, like the guidelines that people need to come with a letter, a quote unquote letter from a therapist or a, a psychologist. Um, and that's, I don't require that. Um, I, again, take the feminist approach to, you know, thinking that people are probably a lot more well informed about their bodies and their needs than I am. Um, and that's not to say that if it seemed like somebody needed extra um, support from a social worker or a therapist, um, gosh, I'm all for people doing more self-care and making referrals that I think are appropriate. But by and large, most clients coming in seeking this, I, I don't require them to, you know, dress as a different gender for a year, go get a letter, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like that's, I don't want to say totally passe, but maybe it might be. <laughs> and what can they expect for follow-up? Um, so I like to follow up with... Uh, clients who I've started on hormone therapy uh, about every three months for the first year, um, <clears throat> depending on which hormones people are taking. So if somebody's starting with um, testosterone injections, I'll see them back a few extra times within the first month to um, do an injection, to teach them how to do injections or a partner or somebody who's going to be doing it for them if, if they don't um, give themselves injections. And then have um, people come back 
as frequently as they feel like they need to feel comfortable with that skill. Um, but generally every three months or so um, to check blood pressure, to see how people are feeling about their progress, how they're doing, you know, just in their lives, given um, some of the changes that they're experiencing um, and making sure that they're staying healthy, uh, checking labs, that kind of thing. Um, and then after that, about every six months, I would say, once once people are well-established. Great. Thanks, Lindsay, for answering the Ask Mabel's questions this week and or month and um, being here for Reproductive Left. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit our new and improved website, mabelwadsworth.org, and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on weru.org in the archives or at mabelwadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Please tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4.30, right here at Community Radio WERU, 99.9 Bangor, 89.9 Blue Hill, or online at weru.org.